0: Think about the Bible like you never have before. You're listening to Christian Questions. Experience more episodes, videos, and Bible study resources at ChristianQuestions.com. Our topic is Can my marriage be a happily ever after? I now pronounce you husband and wife. Here's where all like to think that bliss begins. Marital bliss can begin here, but it will not endure unless we daily decide to feed, cultivate, and develop that relationship. How do we do that successfully? It all begins with how we see our challenges.
1: Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 25 years. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for this episode?
0: Genesis 2, 23 and 24. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh
1: she shall be called woman
0: because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh.
1: It would seem that most entering into marriage do so with high expectations of a life of happiness, fulfillment, and companionship. Unfortunately for far too many, these expectations are foreign to the reality. Excluding marriages that end in divorce, how many others are truly happy and fulfilled and how many are simply going along to just get along these are hard things to look at in order to do so in order to look at them in a positive growth oriented way we need to establish two basic truths for our conversation first let's understand that quote happily ever after unquote is a fairy tale ending I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, so stay with me, all right? The feelings it ignites of an everyday bliss-filled life are unfair and simply not real. Second, let's understand that our marriages can be happy, fulfilled, and full of companionship if, if we know what we're striving for and are willing to put the effort in.
0: What kind of happiness, then, are we looking for? Is it the exhilaration of being swept off one's feet, or is it being powerfully blessed by God in the everyday aspects of our life? Can it be both?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. What is it that we're looking for, and can it be both? And I think the answer is yes, it can, but not without a whole lot of work, okay? So let's figure out how to do this. Let's use the Beatitudes to help us establish the kind of happiness That we as christians are to be seeking in the beatitudes you know blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness and are a peacemaker and all of those things some translations for the beatitudes use the word happy instead of blessed so let's take a look at matthew chapter five verse three this is from the phillips translation
0: how happy are those who know their need for god for the kingdom of heaven is theirs so blessed or happy means supremely blessed by extension fortunate, or well-off. The meaning of blessed or happy goes far beyond simple happiness. It's always tied to those who serve God no matter their circumstances, or it describes God himself. Being blessed or happy means we have been touched or guided by God's favor, which means we personally have God's
1: attention. Think about that for a second. To be happy is is to know that you personally have God's attention. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big thing to say, whoo-hoo, life is pretty good right here. So that's the definition. That's the happy that we really want to focus in on here. Let's go back and look a little further in the context of the Beatitudes. After Jesus revealed the seven attitudes of character that were to develop, blessed are the humble, The blessed are those who seek righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers, there are seven of those. After those, he continued with two more examples of, quote, blessed or happy. And let's look at those in Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11.
0: Happy are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what happiness will be yours when people blame you and ill-treat you and say all kinds of slanderous things against you for my sake? Rick, to the average person, these two verses are a paradox. You mean to tell me that it's a happy day for me when I'm being persecuted, being unfairly blamed and slandered?
1: Yes. <laughs> and so you go, wait a minute, you're right. It's a, it's a paradox. It just doesn't seem to fit. Jesus in these verses is teaching us to see things from a different and a higher perspective. Now, there's a good lesson for us in marriage here with this, so stay with us on that. He's broadening our daily life approach.
0: And suffering, Rick, from a natural sense could be hard or difficult. We could be angry, mad, sad, or hurt.
1: It's hard to handle. It is. It is. It's hard to handle and trials are hard to handle, and challenges are hard to handle, and that's why we're talking about all of this, and can my marriage be a happily ever after. So how do we learn to label all of this? Well, a simplistic but very effective way to understand this way of thinking was explained by Allison Ledgerwood, and she is a social psychologist. And we're going to take a listen to this TED Talk from Allison and it's called getting stuck in the negatives and how to get unstuck and the thing that struck me about this Jonathan It's not about marriage at all, but it's about a fundamental thought process that really works Well, if we understand how to apply it to marriage, so at the beginning She is going to talk to us about a phrase a phraseology that we're all very very familiar with
2: we all know intuitively that there are different ways of thinking about things The same glass, the saying goes, can be seen as half full or half empty. And there's a lot of research in the social sciences showing that depending on how you describe the glass to people as half full or half empty, it changes how they feel about it. So if you describe the glass as half full, this is called a gain frame because you're focusing on what's gained, then people like it. But if you describe the same glass as half empty, a loss frame, then people don't like it.
1: It's brilliant in its simplicity, and it really got my attention. So is the glass half full or half empty? One way of looking at it says it's a gain frame. There's something good happening. The other is what she called a loss frame. There's something that's bad that's happening. It's the same glass. So let's hold on to that, and let's move forward now.
0: And Rick, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, continuing the thought, Happy are those. Now let's read verse 12. Be glad then, yes, be tremendously glad, for your reward in heaven is magnificent. They persecuted the prophets before your time in exactly the same way. Rick, it wasn't a pretty picture the way the prophets were persecuted, but I get it. It's a privilege when serving God.
1: It is. And when Jesus says, be glad, be tremendously glad, because you can be persecuted just like the prophets, you ask yourself the question, wait a minute, and then you put it in perspective. And that's what we want to focus in. How do you put that in perspective? How do you essentially see that as the glass half full? That's really where we're going here. To do that, let's take a look at the whole picture here. There will be a basic question that we're going to continually ask as we talk about making our marriages happy. Jonathan, what is that question? Am I seeing
0: this particular marriage experience through glass half empty or glass half
1: full eyes? All right. How am I seeing what's happening in my marriage? And the phrase is real simple. Is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? Just keep that in mind as we go through this. As we go through this, let's back up one more step. So what is marriage anyway? How high of a level of commitment do we understand marriage to be for Christians?
0: First, the Bible is explicit regarding marriage. It is called a covenant, specifically a covenant of God. So what does covenant mean in the Bible? Let's start with the Old Testament word for covenant. It is defined as compact or agreement. Here are some selected lines of explanation from McClintock and Strong Biblical Cyclopedia. Covenant, a mutual contract or agreement between two parties, each of which bound to fulfill certain engagements to the other. The Hebrew word is derived from the root, he cut, and taken to mean primarily a cutting with reference to the custom of cutting or dividing animals in two and passing between the parts in ratifying a covenant. In making such a covenant, God has solemnly invoked as witness, whence the expression, a covenant of Jehovah. And accordingly, a breach of covenant was regarded as a very heinous sin.
1: So you've got this idea of covenant being a very powerful, very solemn, serious, Promise. There's a whole ritual behind it at the very beginning, and you, it's not something that you enter into lightly or easily. It's something that you enter into with great, great care. So this is what we talk about when we talk about marriage as a covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, making a covenant was very serious business. Let's look at one example of one of God's own covenants: Genesis nine, twelve to thirteen.
0: God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. This is the same covenant as with marriage.
1: So, this is the same covenant as with marriage. That's a big deal and that's something that we want to really really focus in on here and understand that when God makes a promise, it's the same word as then when we make that marriage promise. So don't kid yourself into looking at that and saying, "Hey, you know what? It's really not so so big or so so powerful." This is something much 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 bigger than that. Let's go a little further because marriage is not only defined as a covenant in scripture, it's defined as a covenant of God a covenant of God. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, and verses 16 to 17.
0: Discretion shall watch over thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of evil, from the men that speak perverse things, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flattereth with her words, that forsaketh the friend of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Well, Matthew Poole's commentary on the Holy Bible states the covenant of her God, the marriage covenant, so-called, partly because God is the author and institutor of that society and mutual obligation. And partly because God is called to be the witness and judge of that solemn promise and covenant and the avenger of the transgression of it. Rick, he really brings out the seriousness of this covenant. It's not to be taken lightly.
1: It's not. It is a very big, fundamental promise. It is the highest kind of promise that we can make on a human level, as a matter of fact. When you make a covenant, first of all, according to Scripture, it's an incredibly serious and solemn event. When you make a covenant of God, you are making that promise, invoking God to witness it, to oversee it, and you don't do that lightly. That's what marriage is. So when we talk about the question, you know, can my marriage be a happily ever after? We w- want to rephrase it in the moment to say, can that covenant I made before God produce happiness and blessing for the two of us? That's really what we're, we're driving at here. And as we look at this idea of glass half full, glass half empty, We want to put things in a very, very specific perspective. With each segment, we're going to introduce some glass-half-full scriptures that talk about challenges, but talk about how to see them. Our first one is Romans 8, 28.
0: And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The context of this verse is that bad things can happen. We need to trust that these experiences are God's providence for us as growth lessons in Christ.
1: Absolutely. God's providence for us as growth lessons. Hard experiences, that's what we need to see them as. This is important. This is glass-half-full thinking. So, Jonathan, let's wrap up this introduction at this point. What's our our glass-half-full acceptance practice here?
0: Because marriage is such a sacred commitment that was established in the sight of God, let us frame and reframe our approach to every challenging experience within that covenant as something that has been brought to us for the growth and maturity of both our spouse
1: and ourselves. And let's be purposeful in our marriage covenant. How do you do that? How do you be purposeful? Well, let's look at three things very quickly here. First, understand what happiness truly means. Second, understand that we can have serious challenges as we go through a married life. And third, let's understand how profoundly deep the marriage covenant is. Put those three things in place, and then let's focus on the glass half full. There are obviously many circumstances that occur in life that can easily derail our marriage relationships. Be aware— and be ready
0: so our objective is to see the challenges we may face in our marriages as having the glass half full practically speaking how do we do this
1: well admittedly this may be a challenge but it's an entirely achievable challenge the foundation for our success begins with a willingness to apply glass half full thinking to the many and varied aspects of our married lives where we may be struggling. So let's begin. Let's begin this journey with two simple and powerful married life expectations. Let's begin by looking at love and respect. Those are two things that are very, very common as we talk about marriage, love and respect.
0: How does the glass half full approach work in
1: the love part of our marriage relationship? That's the question. What we want to understand is the fact is that in many marriages, the feelings associated with true love change over time and often become less intense. So those are feelings that can possibly become less intense. This can bring us to feeling like we're falling out of love with our spouse, which can bring us to a pattern of low expectations. This pattern is a symptom of glass half empty thinking. Let's go back to the lecture by Allison Ledgerwood, Getting Stuck in the Negative and How to Get Unstuck. She had talked about glass half full, glass half empty, and in this, in her study, they did several experiments to see how does glass half full thinking affect somebody and how does glass half empty thinking affect somebody. We're going to just look in on one of those experiments here. Let's listen.
2: We told participants in our experiment about a new surgical procedure, and we randomly assigned them to one of two conditions. For participants in the first condition, the first group, we described the surgical procedure in terms of gains. We said it had a 70% success rate. And for participants in the second group, we described the procedure in terms of losses. We said it had a 30% failure rate. So it's the exact same procedure. We're just focusing people's attention on the part of the glass that's full or the part of the glass that's empty. Perhaps unsurprisingly, people like the procedure when it's described as having a 70% success rate, and they don't like it when it's described as having a 30% failure rate. But then we added a twist. We told participants in the first group, you know, you could think of this as a 30% failure rate, and now they don't like it anymore. They've changed their minds. And we told participants in the second group, you know, you could think of this as a 70% success rate, but unlike the first group, They stuck with their initial opinion. They seem to be stuck in the initial loss frame that they saw at the beginning of the study.
1: Okay, so that's an interesting conclusion here that we're seeing.
0: And how sad it is that human nature gets stuck, Rick, in loss like that.
1: It does. It gets stuck with the loss. And when we're in the positive, like, hey, this is good, it's easy to turn that around. But when you're in the negative that, hey, this isn't so good, it's not easy to turn that around. That's an important perspective to understand here. We get stuck in loss frame thinking, and it's natural. And every one of their experiments proved exactly the same thing. So as Christians, we need to understand that there are different types of love in marriage. Okay, Because we're talking about love and respect. We're talking about love first. There's different types of love in marriage.
0: We will look at two of them. The first, Philadelphia love, is expressed in many ways in many relationships. It is the affection between spouses, parents to children, and children to parents. This kind of love is basic and largely instinctive and has much to do with the give and take of any relationship.
1: Okay, and that's important. It has a lot to do with the give and take of any relationship. This is the kind of love that we're used to. That is that, you know, I help you, you help me, we work together, we love one another, we have those emotions and those feelings, and and that's this kind of love that we're talking about here. Let's look at an example of that in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4.
0: The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children.
1: So those words for love their husbands and love their children, those are two of the forms of the words that you were just describing to us. And it's that give and take love. I help you, you help me, that kind of thing. When we're giving this love, but don't feel as though we're receiving it, The consequences easily stimulate a glass half-empty reaction. It really can be like, well, this isn't looking good. This isn't feeling good. And then we get that glass half-empty reaction. Just as the experiment showed, we tend to hold tightly to this feeling. And it can be really, really overwhelming. And that can set us on a pathway that is not healthy or productive.
0: The second kind of love that is necessary in a marriage is very different. This is agape love. This is a level of selflessness and benevolence, and it encompasses a level of giving that has no thought of reciprocation. It is only concerned with the well-being of those to which it is giving. Jesus lived this kind of love, and here's the proof. John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, that's a beautiful phrase, that your joy may be full. I love that.
1: And how is your joy made full? It's by giving this selfless love, a giving that has no thought of reciprocation. It's just giving for the sake of giving. That's how Jesus is expressing to his disciples. That's how your joy can be made full. This is very different than the give-and-take kind of love. With this selfless love in mind, even if we're challenged with the give-and-take of our marriage, there are things that are happening that, that, that just make, make it difficult. We can and should always be determined to love selflessly, no matter what the circumstances. Recognizing this does not give us permission to ignore our challenge. It would be really easy to do that, but that's not what we're saying. It does give us permission to see the glass as half-full.
0: If we ever begin thinking that we are not appreciated in our marriage, then we need to be purposeful to our spouse. How? By giving more and doing more and thanking them for what they do and for who they are.
1: That's important. And, you know, by saying that, Jonathan, what you're you're saying is, yeah, but but I don't feel like it. But (laughs) what we're saying is, it's okay, you don't feel like it. Selfless love does things that it doesn't feel like. So it's important to put that in perspective. So let's look at a glass half full scripture with these thoughts in our minds. Let's look at Romans chapter five, verses one through five.
0: We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Let me pause here. That's awesome. That's powerful.
1: Exalting in hope. I mean, exalt. When you exalt, boy, things are great hold that thought. Let's continue the verse.
0: And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Wait, what? (laughs) Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proving character and proving character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us.
1: So you've got this exalting in our tribulations, just the same way we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Why? Because the tribulations give us the development that draws us closer to the glory of God. Glass half full. Even though it looks like it's half empty, it's actually half full. So Jonathan, let's look at our glass half full acceptance perspective here.
0: It is important to realize that we cannot change our spouse, but we can change how we decide to respond to them. Glass half empty issues of doubt regarding our love absolutely need confronting, but we can choose to do that with selfless love for them as our
1: basis. And through all of what we're going to talk about and continue to talk about in this episode, we want to make it clear. We are never suggesting running and hiding from a problem. Because that is not productive. What we're suggesting is finding a way to see that problem with glass half full perspective, and by looking at that, understand Jesus embodied this selfless love. Jonathan, you already said that he selflessly loved Peter even when he heard Peter denying that he ever knew him. He heard him, and he still didn't. His love for him didn't falter. We can't stress enough how important this selfless love is as a basis for a healthy marriage don't underestimate applying this kind of love because it helps to build a bridge when you don't feel like building it. It's something that is higher. And this is the kind of love that God loves us with, that Jesus loves us with. So we need to be really clear on this.
0: How does the glass half full approach work in the respect part of our marriage relationship?
1: Okay, now we're gonna talk about respect for a few minutes. To be respectful of someone is to show them honor. Now, this is very different than selfless love because selfless love will treat all in the same way as it gives equally to all. Jesus died for all men equally. Honor and respect lift someone to a higher position than others around them for the purpose of having a relationship with them. A key symptom of marriage challenges is revealed when there is a lack of honor being shown. If I am not showing honor to my spouse that is a symptom of an issue with me it's not them it's with
0: me the word honor means of value by analogy esteem especially of the highest degree let's look at an example first peter 3 7 from the new living translation in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives treat your wife with understanding as you live together she may be weaker than you are but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And why would our prayers be hindered? Because of our covenant. Treat her with respect.
1: Absolutely. There has to be that undying basis of respect. Okay, so this is a very, very important aspect of things. Husbands must give honor to your wives. Now, glass half empty thinking brings us down the road of, well, they don't deserve it, or, or they don't pull their own weight, or they haven't done what they were supposed to, or they're, they're not reliable. You, you can go through all kinds of things like that. Now, whether those observations are true or not, or if they're selfishly concluded thoughts, either way, I submit to you that they're irrelevant. You know, wait, wait, if it's true, how could it be irrelevant? It's irrelevant because it's a matter of respect. Respect is always hard to give. When we think this way so what we need to do is reframe how we think why well after the next scripture we'll get into more of the why ephesians 4 15-16
0: but speaking the truth and love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together By what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the
1: building up of itself in love. So speak the truth in love. You know, we were talking about the glass half empty thinking says, well, they don't deserve that. that." Is that speaking the truth in love? I, I don't think it is.
0: And, Rick, um, have you noticed how media is pushing the idea that men in the family have very little value? We hear this over and over again, and it could have a damaging effect on the marriage relationship.
1: It can. It can. And so, by speaking the truth in love, we can supersede, we can go beyond what all of these external things are, are bringing our way and say, if I'm speaking it in love, that means I'm speaking it with honor, I'm speaking it with respect. There's a way to deal with something that's wrong, respectfully or disrespectfully. And guess what? One of them is a glass half full approach, and the other is a glass half empty approach. So let's look at another glass half full scripture, this time 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18.
0: Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal.
1: So this verse starts out, don't lose heart, even though your outer man is decaying. I mean, that's kind of depressing. You know, even though things are kind of falling apart with yourself, don't lose heart because your inner man is being renewed day by day. This is, and he, he labels it, a momentary light affliction in comparison with the eternal weight of glory. Well, let me think. Momentary light affliction is eternal weight of glory, which one is better? It's the eternal weight of glory. Glass half empty is the momentary light affliction is just too much. Glass half full is the eternal weight of glory is worth going through the challenges of that momentary light affliction. As we continue then, we want to go get to the point of our glass half full acceptance. And so as we look at the glass half full acceptance, love and respect are absolute fundamentals for a happy, and blessed marriage. When we fall into a glass half empty pattern regarding mutual respect, let us reframe it by realizing and accepting their value, even if we don't feel it. Addressing and correcting such issues is in every case an advisable step, and that is love and respect in action. We need to put love and respect in action. We need to put those things in order, we need to make those things work, each and every day, under every circumstance. Love and respect are foundations. Love and respect are real drivers that very much shape what our marriages become. Best pay attention to how we are letting them drive. Love and honor are such
0: important and such fragile foundations of any strong marriage. What do we watch out for next?
1: Our next consideration is a fundamental aspect of the marriage covenant that does not get nearly the attention it deserves. This trait keeps things going when there are too many questions and not enough answers. It searches for direction and perspective when all you can see is fog. It stands as a protector of the covenant itself. This trait is commitment. This is where we're going now. Commitment is a big, strong foundation.
0: How does the glass-half-full approach work in the commitment part of our marriage relationship?
1: Well, true commitment is profoundly foundational in any marriage relationship. For Christians, this commitment is directly built upon our respect and honor for God, for He was called to witness our covenant. Let's remember that. Truly respecting God is the very basis of our ability to truly respect our spouses. Let me repeat that. Truly respecting God is the very basis of our ability to truly respect our spouses. Jonathan, let's go to 1 Timothy 1, 17.
0: Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
1: To God be honor. That same word that we were talking about previously, that's what we're focusing in on here and now is honor. We are talking about the glass half full versus half empty. We have been listening to getting stuck in the negative and how to get unstuck in terms of difficult issues with Alison Ledgerwood. Let's go back to her TED Talk and just see how she focuses us on, okay, now you've got to go to work. Now you've got to do something so that you don't fall into what's always natural.
2: On a more personal level, what this research means to me is that you have to work to see the upside. Literally, this takes work. This takes effort. And you can practice this. You can train your mind to do this better. There is research out of UC Davis showing that just writing for a few minutes each day about things that you're grateful for can dramatically boost your happiness and well-being and even your health. We can also rehearse good news and share it with others. We tend to think, right, that, Misery loves company, that venting will help get rid of our negative emotions, that we'll feel better if we just talk about how terrible our day was. And so we talk, and we talk, and we talk about the boss who's driving us crazy, and the friend who never called us back, and the meeting at work where every little thing that could go wrong did. But we forget to talk about the good stuff, and yet that's exactly where our minds need the most practice.
1: That's the important thing. Our minds need practice so that we can really understand what's happening. And that means that we have to be intentional in how we approach these things. It takes work, it takes effort because we are naturally glass half empty. So a basic motivation to work at seeing the upside when the glass looks half empty, a basic motivation for this is commitment. Going back to the institution of marriage, we see how this commitment came to be and how sacred and how powerful it is let's start with genesis chapter 2 verse 18
0: then the lord god said it is not good for man to be alone i will make him a helper suitable for him you know the whole idea of a helper is not one who is less than but one who corresponds to the individual needing the help because god is called a helper psalm 33:20 our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help
1: and our shield. So if God's our help and our shield, and you want your spouse to be your helper, I think that's a pretty good company to be considered in.
0: certainly is.
1: <laughs> and it's important because we don't want helper to be looked at as, oh, the gopher, oh, you know, go get my coffee, go do this, go do that. Helper has a much bigger sense to it than that, and it really is a contributor to the end result of what's happening. And it's talking about a very strong contribution. So I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make his other half, essentially is what God is saying. You know, There's a natural level of commitment when we're matched with one who suits our needs. If there's someone who suits your needs and there's just something natural that that clicks. The next level of commitment, though, the next higher level comes when we share a commonality, a common basis, and especially when that commonality is of a higher level. One of the commonalities that Adam and Eve had is they were both direct creations Of God and of all of the animals on the earth, they were different. Genesis 2 21 to 22.
0: So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man.
1: So you have God literally taking Eve from Adam and building her as his helper, as is equal, so to speak. And remember, if God is our helper, it'd be good to be somebody else's helper because then you can be like our, our Heavenly Father. So he puts this woman in place to be the complement of who and what Adam is. The core principles of the marriage commitment are clearly defined by this very first marriage. After God directly created Eve from Adam, as we just read, Here's what Adam says. Here's Adam's response. Genesis 2, 23.
0: And this is our theme text. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man.
1: Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We are the same. That's his response. We are the same and the conclusion of the matter. The next verse reveals the profound principle of marriage. So you've got this, we are the same. She is the helper that God has given to me. She is unique for me and to me. And here's what it says in Genesis 2.24.
0: For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, to be joined or
1: cleave is defined as cling or adhere to. That's a big thing. To cling or adhere to something, that means that you are like you are stuck. You are stuck together. There is a closeness that is inferred in this word. To cleave indicates an unrelenting attachment. It describes the marriage commitment. Let's look at one other use of this word. Joshua 22 verse 5.
0: But take diligent heed to do the commandment, the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him
1: with all your heart and with all your soul. So the cleaving is unto God in this scripture. Interesting. God is our helper and we are supposed to cleave to him. Our spouses are our helpers, and we're supposed to cleave to them. You see the commonality of how important this marriage commitment is. It is built upon a spiritually-based relationship. That's how sacred it is, and that's why we have to work so hard at seeing the glasses half-full when there's challenges and not Half empty. To cleave is to powerfully and intentionally hold on to. We are to cleave to God, which means to powerfully and intentionally follow his ways. Jehovah God instructed men to powerfully and intentionally be joined to their wives, so much so that the two become one. And if the two have become one, you are inseparable. In thought, word, deed, and action. You are inseparable. So now let's go to another glass half full scripture because the Bible is full of them. And if you realize that every time we get stuck in glass half empty thinking, we can go and find these scriptures and say, oh, wait, wait, this is reminding me how to think, how to process, how to reset where I'm going in my own mind. So as we read this next scripture, we want to observe the depth of promise and commitment from God and Jesus to us. As we see this unfold, let's use it as a template for our commitment to our spouses, no matter what the trials and challenges might be. So Jonathan, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. We'll, we'll pause right after verse 5.
0: These are amazing promises we can
1: cling to. They are. They are powerful promises, being born to a living hope, uh, inheritance imperishable, protected by God's power. I mean, you've got all of this that you can hold on to. So now let's take that excitement, that exhilaration, if you will, and let's look at verses 6 and 7.
0: In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the purposeful commitment of serving God brings great contentment and satisfaction, as it should in our marriages. We need to be one as we support each other, even with our differences and difficulties.
1: You're right. We need to be one. That's the key. That's the core. And that's where commitment really, really, really comes in. So we rejoice greatly, even though we've got difficulties. And see, this applies in our marriage as well as in our lives. We can have difficulties in our marriage, but it doesn't mean we are any less focused on doing God's will within the context of that sacred covenant. Focus in. Look at commitment. Make it your own. Make your thinking glass half full. So, Jonathan, our glass half full acceptance, what do we have?
0: Anything we see the glass is half empty in our marriage relationship, we need to remind ourselves that renewed commitment to our marriage covenant is the surest way to relabel that glass as half full. When such commitment is combined with love and respect— we are handed a formidable
1: toolkit to work on resetting marriage happiness. We may lose sight of marriage happiness, but to reset it, one of the principal things we need to do is understand that, find that commitment to that sacredness of that covenant, and that can put it all back in an order, back in a place, back into a context that you can say, okay. I can now see a foundation for building toward the happiness that I thought was gone. And folks, it doesn't mean in any way, shape or form that we ignore our troubles. We don't ignore them, we work through them and we use that commitment, that godly commitment as a tool to do so. Even though these principles of love, respect and commitment sound simple, never let us forget to put them to put the effort in so that they can succeed.
0: Focusing on love, respect and commitment to make the glass half full is a lot.
1: How much more is there? Well, when it comes to attaining and maintaining a solid marriage, (laughs) there's always more. Now, this shouldn't be taken in the glass half empty way. It's not like, oh no, not more work. I mean, come on, you, you told us enough already. Stop, 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 more work. No, 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 that's glass half empty. Rather, we can choose to accept it in a glass half full way. For instance, okay, so what we're saying is there's so much more room to grow the strength of our marriage, what's next? Because that's a good thing. Same glass, it matters how you see it. It's really all about perspective and about doing the work. And one of the bases for doing any work as a Christian, and especially in marriage, is humility. Humility is a perpetual key for any Christian in any area of their life. Applying this character trait to our marriages is an absolute necessity. How does the
0: glass-half-full approach work in the humility part of our marriage relationship? Let's go to Romans 12, 3 and 4. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. Well, if we think more highly of ourselves over our spouse, it's a recipe for disaster. Humility binds us together, but
1: pride destroys. So that's such a a good equation, The, the binding together of humility. It brings us closer you know why? Because it does it's not threatening. When have you ever seen somebody threatened by somebody who's truly humble? You don't, <laughs> Yeah, you don't get that. Humility is not threatening and it's a great way to begin to reestablish communication or, or context or a relationship. It's a great way to begin building. Let's go one more time to Alison Ledgerwood talking about getting stuck in the negatives and how to get unstuck and seeing the half full glass. And, and she gives a, actually in this, in this soundbite, she gives a very personal application of all the things that she herself teaches.
2: So my husband, who has this disconcerting habit of listening to what I say other people should do and then pointing out that technically speaking, I'm a person too, has... T- <laughs> has taken to listening to me for about two minutes on days when I come home all grumpy and complaining about everything. And he listens and he says, okay, but what happened today that was good? And so I tell him about the student who came up to me after class with this really interesting, insightful question. And I tell him about the friend who emailed me out of the blue this morning just to say hello. And somewhere in the telling, I start to smile. And I start to think that maybe my day was pretty decent after all.
1: That's pretty good. That is. You know, the the old, you know, use the mirror. You know, it's great to teach other people, but how am I learning myself? And the way she described it as, and in the telling, I can feel that smile. I can feel coming back to a position where I can say, you know what? The glass really is half full. And what a great lesson for us in our marriages to be able to help our spouse maybe go from the half-empty to half-full viewpoint. Question, how often do we seek out and recognize the ways that our spouse's character can fill in the gaps of what we may lack or if they can see what we can't? How often do we draw attention to that? And I got to tell you, before the next scripture, Jonathan, one experience in, in, in my married life is that uh, my, my wife, Trish, she is ridiculously amazing at that she fills in the gaps that I just don't have. And, and she sees things that I don't. And I, many, many, many years ago, I really learned to listen to that. And especially with raising our kids, there were times where she'd, be say, she'd say, you know, you need to spend more time with this one. or Maybe you can try that. And I learned to, to not even question it after a while because at the beginning it's like, nah, 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 I got this. But she was always right. I hate to admit it, but I just said <laughs> it to the world. <laughs> and it helped me reset and see things differently and it it just it elevates it gives honor and respect to your spouse it puts all of these things right in order here's a great scripture that helps us put all of this together ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 to 12
0: two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor for each either of them falls the one will lift up his companion but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And the third strand is God. What a beautiful thought.
1: So you put that out there and you say, okay, if we weave our Heavenly Father into all of the aspects of our Union together of that sacred covenant that we made before him, that gives us a really clear sense. Keeping God at the center of our married life is the tie that binds us together. This creates a built in security in our marriage. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how full the glass is, it builds further security.
0: Because our marriage covenant is of God and is before God, that is our binding connection.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing that we want to, to look at. It's not our common interests. It's not our hobbies. It's not our kids. It's not our careers. It is having God in the center of our lives as Christians. That's what makes a Christian marriage have so much to work towards, so much to see and when we have challenges that the glass is in fact half full. Having said all of this, with humility, remember we're talking about humility, let's strive to always be honest with our spouses. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, we'll start with just verse 25 right now.
0: Therefore, laying aside falsehoods, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one of another.
1: Okay, so you can take that in a marriage, we can interpret that as this honesty and says, okay, speak truth with one another, so I can let him have it. Because the scripture just gave me permission. I can tell them what's up and what's wrong and what they didn't do and what they should have done. I could tell them because it says, speak the truth, each, of, each one to, to the other. However, let's take a time out. Let's take a breath. Let's count to 10. All right. We need to remember the respect and selfless love aspects of our commitment. Is that really what you think the scripture is saying? Come on. This is why the verse continues in this very specific way. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, the very next verse. What is it? Verse 26 and 27.
0: Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity.
1: Okay, it's all right to be angry, but don't sin. Put it in its place. Don't give Satan an opportunity. So as we speak the truth to our spouses, let's be mindful of what we are focusing on so we can be reminded to see the glass as half full. If I focus on justifying myself or fault finding, I am seeing the glass as half empty. That's what I'm seeing. If I'm focused on communicating difficult things for the sake of us, I'm now seeing the glass as half it takes humility to do that.
0: Instead of fault finding and always having to be right, try laughing at ourselves when asked to get something and it's right in front of us and we just can't see it. How about admitting our mistakes and ask for forgiveness?
1: So have you ever done that?
0: <laughs> Too many times to count, <laughs> brother. <laughs>
1: How about so, you? So like when your wife says, you know, go get s- such and such in the fridge? Yeah, I mean that, that's my that's my big fault, okay? I look in the fridge and inevitably, first of all, it doesn't look like I'm expecting it to. See, I'm I'm giving you all my excuses right now. Oh, okay. okay? <laughs> it's placed in a different place than I'm expecting it, but I just can't find it. Now a fridge <laughs> is a very small item. It's not like there's a lot of places to hide, but no, Rick can't find it. And then <laughs> and then Church comes over, she points to it, and I say, Oh, you mean that thing that says ketchup on it? Is that what you <laughs> wanted? Oh, if I only knew. And you're right. we got to laugh at ourselves, you know, and admit the mistake and then move on. Okay. One more glass half full scripture. James 1, 17 to 22.
0: Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be kind of first fruits among his creatures.
1: So you've got this clear sense. God doesn't change. That is a relief. And you've got, he's the father of lights. And if the father of lights doesn't change, you've got everything you need. You Everything you can possibly need. This is as positive, glass half full as you could possibly see. So now we get to the point of challenge. Let's read verse 19.
0: This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, let's be purposeful by telling the truth to our spouse without anger and in a constructive way. Let's build up, not break down.
1: That, that's a novel idea. And how do you do that? You do that by seeing the glass as half full. So, Jonathan, finally, our glass half full acceptance piece, what do we have?
0: Marriage is the most sacred earthly covenant we can have the privilege of being involved in. As with any promise that encompasses every aspect of our lives, it continually requires attention and work. Let us always remember that applying selfless love, respect, commitment, and humility in every challenging marriage experience can help us work towards our marital glass always filling up with happiness and God's blessing.
1: So you just change that. Instead of looking at the glass half full, you're saying the glass is always filling up. Yes. Because essentially what we're saying is that when you see the glass is half full, it is always filling up. And that's the point That is the Christian happily ever after. The happily ever after for us is understanding that God's got our trials and difficulties in his hands and we just need to be committed to have love and respect. Remember, love on those two different uh, levels. We need to have commitment and honor one another and humility so that we can put things in order. The glass is half full, folks. It is. We just need to see it that way and respond to it accordingly and honor God as we honor our spouse. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at christianquestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, have we lost our ability to honor one another? Part one, we'll talk to you about honor and what it means next week.